I'm standing before you this morning. And some of you, many of you have heard this story. Because God interrupted my life. Because up until one week, one week before I graduated from, from college, I was doing what I'd planned to do since I was five years old. I was going to law school. I'd been accepted to law school. That's where I was going to go. And one week before, I mean, I'd already written a script of my life. I knew exactly what it was going to look like. I had everything planned out. In my mind's eye, I could see the path that I was going to take and the goals that I was going to achieve and the places I was going to go. Until I walked back into my dorm room that afternoon, I can remember it like it happened yesterday, and the Holy Spirit said, we interrupt the program of your life to make this important announcement. The bad news is, you are not going to be a lawyer. The good news is, you are going to work for the chief justice of the universe. And my life was totally interrupted. And there's never been a greater interruption or a greater announcement than the one that took place 2,000 years ago to a little teenage peasant girl in a small country town, neither of whom have, would have ever been heard of. We would never know about Bethlehem. We wouldn't know about Nazareth. We wouldn't know about Mary. We wouldn't know about Joseph. We wouldn't even have Christmas if it were not for an interruption. Now, if you're a guest of ours this morning, we're in a series that we're calling Christmas on the Air. And let me kind of just set the backdrop of, of, of why we're doing this series. God's people had not seen or heard from God in 400 years. From the time that the first five books of the Bible was written, the people of Israel had kind of enjoyed this long stream of revelation from God. He would First he spoke through Moses, and then he spoke through David the psalmist, and then he spoke to the prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and so forth. And then all of a sudden, for four centuries, absolute silence. Nothing. Nobody had heard anything from God. No new revelation. No new miracles. No new appearances. And the silence from heaven was deafening. And then all of a sudden, 400 years have passed. People are kind of in the path of their daily life. And without any warning to the least likely of people, in the least likely of places, at the least likely of times, God sends this angel, and he interrupts the broadcast of the world to, 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 to make an announcement that would not only change the world then, but it would actually change the world forever. And the way God did that was he went on the air, literally. Angels came and spoke. First, they spoke to a, a, a girl named Mary, a little peasant girl named Mary who couldn't even sign her name. She was totally illiterate. Then they spoke to a lowly carpenter who didn't even make minimum wage that nobody would have ever heard of had it not been for this interruption. And then they spoke to shepherds who were considered to be on the lowest rung of the social ladder. God interrupted what they were doing, and God interrupted what they thought they would be doing to announce the birth of a baby that would be the greatest game changer in history. Now, because of what happened to them, I want you to learn something about interruptions today because... You know, if you're like me, most most every day I have a to-do list. And I, I've kind of adopted this system. I have an A, B, and C. A must do, C should do, C can do. So, And, and then I go one, two, three in that list. So in other words, like, like, for example, A1 and A2 on my list every day. A1, quiet time. It, it, every morning when I get up, if I don't do anything else, I know one thing I'm going to do. I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to journal, and I'm going to talk to the Lord. All right? That's A1. A2 is a workout. If, you know, no, no matter what else I get done, I'm going to do some kind of exercise that day. So I've got A, B, and C. Well, you all know as well as I do, if you're, if you're that kind of person, 
You can't always count on A1 or A2 always getting done because, for example, about the time I go to exercise, if I get a phone call and one of my kids has been taken to the hospital, guess what? I'm not working out. I got interrupted, right? So we all have those days, and almost without exception, sometime during the day, you're going to get interrupted for something. I got interrupted this morning. I, I had to do something for, for our TV ministry and, and uh, had forgotten about it. And while I'm here at church, I, I had my kind of my, you know, my morning path planned out when I got here, but I got interrupted. Well, the question is, how do you handle those interruptions? Well, you do it by remembering this little key thought I want you to take with you this morning, okay? Interruptions are God's disruptions. Interruptions are God's disruptions. See, if you will learn what we're going to learn today from a magnificent story that happened 2,000 years ago, when your life gets interrupted, you won't be so frustrated. When your life gets interrupted, you won't be so impatient. When your life gets interrupted, you'll see things in a totally different perspective because here's what we all know is true. Most of the time, you have no control over an interruption, right? That's why we call it an interruption. You don't ever, ever interrupt yourself. You get interrupted by someone else. They literally break into your life without warning and without invitation. Well, what I want you to see today is how God uses those interruptions in your life to make you what he wants you to be, to lead you where he wants you to go, so he can do with you what he wants to do. So there are four things I would invite you to write down this morning to remember the next time your life gets interrupted. All right? Number one, when your life gets interrupted, let's remember we have God's presence beside us. We have God's presence beside us. Now let me just take you back to where this story begins because where this story begins would have been absolutely amazing to any Jewish person who was reading it or hearing it for the first time. I remind you, God had not spoken a word for four hundred years. And after 400 years, he decides to interrupt the world's programming for the most momentous broadcast in history. Now, what's so amazing about this broadcast is not what he said so much as it was where he said it. Where does he make this announcement? Not in Judea, which was the very heart of God's work for hundreds of years. You ready for this? He announces it in Galilee. You say, so? Do you know what the Greek word is for Galilee? Hicksville. Galilee was where the lower class lived. As my friend Jeff Foxworthy would have said back then, you might be a redneck if you're from Galilee. By the way, he also said you might be a redneck if you've ever financed a tattoo. You might be a redneck if you've ever taken a fishing pole to SeaWorld. You might be a redneck if your dog and your wallet are both on a chain. You might be a redneck if your dad walks you to school because you're both in the same grade. Now, the point is, enough of that. My point is, Galilee was redneck country. And beyond that, not only did the angels bypass Judea for Galilee, are you ready for this? They bypassed the city of Jerusalem, the capital, the greatest city in the country, for Israel's version of Mayberry. Nazareth was Israel's version of, of Mayberry. Say, well, how do you know that? Well, I'll show you in just a moment. Listen to this. The first time we meet Mary, an angel of God is speaking to her. Now, I've told you this last week. Contrary to what you see in the movies, Mary was a young girl. 
She was from the other side of the tracks. She lived in a poverty-stricken region, and she's engaged to a carpenter who doesn't even make minimum wage. She's one of those kinds of girls, if you'd walked by her, you wouldn't have given her a second thought. Very plain, would not have been a cheerleader, would never have been a selected beauty queen or anything like that. Just a very plain, ordinary peasant girl. And let me tell you something else interesting. She wasn't even a woman. She's a teenager and probably barely a teenager. Bible scholars say she was probably around 13, maybe 14 years of age, no older than 15. I mean, she wasn't even old enough to drive. And yet the angel's first words to her would be words that would change her picture of herself forever. Listen to what he said. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. Now listen to these words. These five words changed her life. The Lord is with you. Me? The Lord is with you. Let those words kind of ring in your ear right now. The Lord is with you. You know what that tells me? God had interrupted Mary's life. But no interruption ever occurs in your life or her life unless God allows it. Did you hear that? No interruption ever occurs in your life unless God allows it. You never have to interrupt and have to handle an interruption alone. And though nobody else knew who this little girl was, God did. And I'll tell you something else. At that moment, that little peasant girl knew something that nobody had ever really told her before. She knew whatever I'm about to face, whatever this angel is about to tell me, whatever is about to break into my life, I don't have to deal with it alone because God is with me. Let me just say this to you. I don't know how your life has been turned upside down this morning. I don't know whether it was turned upside down by a divorce notice or a pink slip or a bad x-ray, but you just remember this, the Lord is with you. You have God's presence beside you. Let me tell you something, if Christmas is about anything, it's about a God who left heaven and came to earth to be with us and will never leave us again. So you remember, the next time you're interrupted, the next time your life gets tossed upside down, the next time things go topsy-turvy in your life, you remember, we have God's presence beside us. Here's the second thing. Remember, we have God's plan before us. Now, <clears throat> go back again to exactly where this announcement takes place. It takes place in Nazareth. Now, that's just astounding. And, and if you knew, if you know your Bible, if you really understood Bible history, you would understand that. The very first time, are you ready for this? The very first time you ever hear about Nazareth is right here in this chapter. First time you ever hear about Nazareth is right here in Luke's gospel. Nazareth is never mentioned in the Old Testament, not one time. You won't find it in ancient history. You can, go, you can go read every ancient history book ever written. They never, ever talk about Nazareth. The Bible is the only ancient book of history that even mentions the name of this town. You say, well, why is that? Because no, no one of any importance had ever come out of Nazareth. Nothing that had ever happened, important, ever happened in Nazareth. As a matter of fact, scholars estimate that at the time that Luke wrote this gospel, at most, maybe 200 people lived in this little town of Nazareth. Nazareth is the kind of town that you went through. It's not the kind of town you went to. Now, let me give you an illustration. Uh, a lot of you can relate to this. Have you ever been on vacation or maybe you're on a, maybe a long road trip? And, and, and you pull into one of those sleepy little out-of-the-way towns, you know, and all you, do, all you want to do is you want to fill up your car, get a Slurpee or a corn dog, go to the bathroom, wash the bugs off your windshield, 
and get out as fast as you can, and you leave that town and thank God that you don't live there. You ever been to those kind of towns? You know, you know the kind of town I'm talking about? That's Nazareth. You thank God that's not where you're from. Nazareth was the headquarters of a garrison of Roman soldiers. Pagan temples had been built there. They didn't, they didn't worship the Jewish gods. It was a pagan town. And many of the young girls, by the way, were known to date and have relations with these Roman soldiers. As a matter of fact, do you know what the slogan of Nazareth was 2,000 years ago? What happens in Nazareth stays in Nazareth. I mean, I, I, listen, you say, where do you get this idea? Why do you think Nazareth had such a bad reputation? When, when Nathaniel heard that Jesus was from Nazareth, you remember what he said? He said this in John 1, 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That, when, he heard, when Nathaniel heard Jesus of Nazareth, he said, that's all for me, I'm done. Can't be anything to this guy. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Nothing good can happen in Nazareth. So here, now watch this, here's a nobody girl living in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere who has just been told, you have God right beside you. You have the presence of God with you and God has a plan for your life. And now you understand why we read this in verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. How many of you ever seen the movie Taxi Driver? How many of you ever saw that movie? You remember that famous line where Robert De Niro says, you talking to me? You talking to me? That's what Mary was saying. You, you, you talking to me? You sure don't have me confused with someone else? I mean, here's, here's a girl that's double cursed. First of all, she's a girl. That's strike one. Number two, she's a teenager. She's a kid. Now, 2,000 years ago, when you took youth and added it to gender, when you took youthfulness and added it to being a female, that was about as low as you could get. You talk about absolutely no respect. And Mary looks at this angel and she says, you know, I, I don't get this. I, I could understand if I were a queen or a princess. I could understand if I at least came from a wealthy family. But I'm not royal. I'm not rich. I've got no fortune. I've got no fame. And that's what makes the next two verses even more amazing. Verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. Now listen, this is, this is, this, this is the coolest thing to me. You go all the way back to the first chapter of the Bible. And from the time that God first lit the sun and hung it in the sky, from the time that God created the first man and put breath into him, and then the first woman and put breath into her, and from the time that that first man and that first woman blew it when they rebelled against God, God has had a plan from the very beginning of time. He said, I've got a plan. I'm going to bring a Messiah to the Jews. I'm going to bring a Savior to the Gentiles. I'm going to bring a Lord to the world. And from the time that Mary came out of her mother's womb, God's plan for Mary was for her womb to be the place where that child would be conceived and where that plan would be fulfilled. And so I just want to say this to you. You may be sitting there this morning and you may think you are a nobody. You're not a somebody. You're a nobody. God has a plan for you. You may be sitting there and you may be neither royal nor rich. God has a plan for you. You may never have any fame and you may never have ever have any fortune, but God 
has a plan for you. And interruptions are God's disruptions as a part of his plan for your life. So the next time that life goes topsy-turvy, the next time the Kool-Aid spilt on the floor, the next time you don't get the news from the doctor you were hoping for, the next time your life is interrupted, you remember, number one, I've got God's presence beside me. Number two, I've got God's plan before me. God is up to something, and he's up to something with me. Here's the third thing. Remember, we have God's purpose beyond us. Not only God's presence beside us, not only God's, God's plan before us, we've got God's purpose beyond us. Now, if Mary hasn't heard enough to put, to put her into shock, she's about to hear something now that except for the grace of God would have put her into cardiac arrest. Because now the angel goes on to say, Mary, I'm not through. You have no idea what God is about to do with you. And he makes this stupendous announcement in verse 32. He, talking about this little baby boy, he will be great. Well, that's not unusual. Every one of us thinks our children are going to be great, right? He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And these are the words that would have knocked her flat on her back. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, you've got to put yourself... In the body of this little peasant girl. This little teenage girl who couldn't even sign her own name. Who couldn't read and write. Who is totally illiterate. Even this little peasant girl would not have missed the significance of what this angel told her. Let me tell you why. Remember, Mary was Jewish. And she came from a devout Jewish home. So she went to the synagogue. And whenever she was in Jerusalem, she would go to the temple. And like any Jewish child growing up, she had heard all of her life how prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel had foretold the coming of a king who would reclaim Israel's throne, who would destroy Israel's enemies, who would usher in a time of prosperity and peace that neither Israel nor the entire world had ever seen, ever known, or ever heard of. There's going to be a king that's going to come like no other king who's ever lived because the one thing that will make this king different from any other king is of his kingdom and of his reign, there will never be an end. Nobody will ever usurp his throne. His kingdom will never collapse. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now think about this. You're, you're alive 2,000 years ago. You're a Jew 2,000 years ago. There hadn't been a king in Israel for 600 years. 600 years, no king. The nation had been conquered and taken into exile, and they now lived under the heavy hand of the Roman Empire. And the one thing that kept the Jewish people going, the one thing that gave the Jewish people hope, was a promise that God had made to David when he said this in 2 Samuel verse chapter 7. He said, David, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God made a promise to David. He said, David... One of these days, I'm going to put someone on your throne, and when that someone comes and he gets on your throne, that man's kingdom will never end. That man's reign will never end. And I guarantee you, David, your throne, your kingdom is going to last forever. And now, here's a little 14-year-old girl who didn't even finish school, can't read, can't write, speaks terrible countryfied language. She's just been told, you are about to become a mother. 
you are about to become the mother of a king. You are about to become the mother of the king. You are about to become the mother of the king of kings. And oh, by the way, of his kingdom, Mary, there will be no end. And Mary's sitting there going, wait a minute. I don't know a lot, but I know this. Every king and every kingdom in history has eventually come to an end, but neither this king nor his kingdom ever will. Let me tell you why this is such a big deal. The ultimate purpose of the entire universe. You want to know what it is? You know what the purpose is of this world? You want to know what the purpose is of this galaxy? You want to know what the purpose is of this entire universe? You want to know what the purpose is of every man, woman, and boy, and girl who's ever lived or ever will live? The ultimate purpose of this entire universe is that Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High, the King of all kings, is going to rule and reign over everybody and everything, everywhere, at all times. That's God's ultimate purpose. That's where everything is headed. And everything and everyone on this planet, even now, is being used by God to accomplish that purpose. The whack job in North Korea, he's being used by God, doesn't even know it. The President of the United States, the president of Russia, the ruler over every country in this world, they don't realize that they're just pawns on the chessboard. God says, I've got one ultimate purpose, and it is going to be done. My son, I'm going to put everything under his feet, and he's going to rule, and he's going to reign forever and ever and ever. So the next time an interruption breaks into your life, remember, you've not been put here to fulfill your purpose. We have been put here to fulfill his purpose. And our purpose is to allow God to use us to fulfill his purpose. I'm going to say that again. Our purpose on this earth is to allow God to use us to fulfill his purpose. And if, like Mary, you're sitting there and you're wondering, that sounds so good. And, 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 and Pastor James, that sounds so encouraging. But I'm worse off than Mary. I am the nobody of nobodies. I didn't finish school. And even though I finished school, my teachers wished I hadn't. I, I, I mean, I, 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 I have hardly any money. I'm going to retire basically depending on Social Security. I, I've never known what it's like to drive a brand new car. I've never even left the borders of this country. And yet you're telling me God has a plan for me. And you're telling me that God wants to use me. And you're telling me that, yes, God can do great things through me even though I don't realize it. You're saying, I don't know how in the world you could say that to me. I'll tell you how. It's the fourth lesson. Because you have to remember, we have God's power behind us. We have God's power behind us. Now, Mary is good to go, right? I mean, she, she, she's heard everything, and she survived. She didn't die of a heart attack. She says, okay, I'm all in. And she's, she's ready to go, except she's got this one little question in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Lord, how can you use me? I don't even make the median wage in this country. Lord, how can you use me? <laughs> I'm on food stamps. Lord, how can you use me? I flunked out of high school. Lord, how can you use me? 
I failed in two marriages. Lord, how can you use me? I've been in prison. Lord, how can you use me? I am a nobody. Mary had the same problem. How will this be since I am a virgin? And literally, that sentence reads in the Greek, how will this be since I do not know a man? Now, Mary had been, may have been a young peasant girl and may not have been highly illiterate or highly educated, but she knew enough about birds and bees. She knew how babies were made. And she knew she had never come within a country mile of making a baby with anybody. And remember, by the way, you remember, anybody, anybody remember, what did Luke do for a living? What was Luke? He was a doctor. Luke's a doctor. And he makes it very plain in his telling of the story that Mary is a virgin. He calls her that twice in verse 27. She is a virgin. And by the way, the Greek word for, the ver for virgin there is a word that's always used for a virgin in the New Testament. Now, Mary has just been told why she's going to have a baby, but she hasn't been told how. And so Gabriel, who's talking to her, has this uncanny ability to make the next thing he says more standing than the last thing he said. Even though everything he said is already mind-boggling, now he gives the coup de grace, verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, let me stop right here. This is not a medical explanation of what's going to happen. This is a spiritual explanation of what's going to happen. It's not a natural explanation. It is a supernatural ex explanation. He says, Mary, no sweat. Don't worry. God, God is going to conceive a male child in your virgin's womb. Mary, this boy is going to be the heavenly child of an earthly mother and he's going to be the earthly child of a heavenly father. Now, at that moment, if this were happening today in the year 2013, there'd be doctors on Fox News and CNN and MSNBC and ABC and CBS and, 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 and uh, uh, all these other networks. They'd be saying, impossible. You'd have um, scientists lined up saying, Impossible. You, you, you would have philosophers who would be standing up all over the world saying, this is impossible. To which the angel simply replies in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary, God gets it. He knows you're a virgin. He knows you're 14 years old. He knows you're a nobody girl from a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. He knows, Mary, you can't read and write. He knows you can't even sign your name. He knows all of that. But Mary, nothing is impossible with God. Now listen to me. If you believe and believe that, if you really believe that, nothing in the Bible should ever take you by surprise. If you really believe that, no interruption should ever bother you. No interruption ought to get you perplexed. No interruption ought to, ought to give you a bad hair day. You know why? There's nothing impossible with God. God can create everything out of nothing. God can part a Red Sea. God can kill a giant with a rock and a slingshot. God can make a donkey talk. I've met a few of those. 
God can stop the sun in its tracks. And you know what? God can conceive a baby in the womb of a virgin because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Nothing's impossible with Him. So understanding that truth, Mary now shows us how to respond to these interruptions that are divine disruptions. He said, okay, Pastor. So when these interruptions come, and I remember all this stuff, how do I respond when these interruptions, how do I respond when my life is turned upside down? How do I respond when the cards fall out of the deck? How do I respond when the Kool-Aid comes out of the container? How do I respond? Verse 38, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now watch this. This is, this is a good way to wrap this up. That word translated servant in, in the Greek language refers to someone who doesn't, this is not a person in the Greek, this is not a person who was forced into slavery. This word refers to a person who voluntarily would sell themselves into slavery. People would do that back then. They would voluntarily sell themselves into slavery. And it refers to a person who would voluntarily, totally submit to the will of a master. In other words, what Mary said to that angel and what Mary said to the Lord is exactly what a slave would say to a master when they'd say something like this, I want to serve you. I don't want you to pay me. I don't care how hard you work me. I don't care what you tell me to do. Whatever you want me to do with my life, I am willing to do it. Whatever you want to do with my life, do it because I want your will to be done and not my own. If you really want to know what made Mary such a great woman, perhaps the greatest woman who ever lived, it is this statement to me that puts her right at the top of the list. Whatever the Lord wants to do with me, I will do it. Let it be to me according to your word. Lord, you tell me it's a done deal. <laughs> that cost Mary. So what do you mean? Mary's going to have to pay a high price to say yes to God. But think, think, about, think about this now. You're Mary. Joseph doesn't know anything yet, right? He doesn't know anything. The baby bump hasn't hit yet. She says, that's okay, Lord. If you want me to conceive, you conceive. She didn't know how Joseph was going to respond. I'll tell you one thing she knew. She knew if she went through with this, she knew people would whisper behind her back the rest of her life, and they did. She knew she'd be accused of being a slut. She knew that. She knew people would accuse her of being a prostitute. She knew people would accuse her of being impure. She knew that that little baby boy would grow up and hear other kids say all of his life, well, at least we know who our daddy was. Well, at least we know who our father was. You read this in the New Testament. And I say that for this reason. So many of us want to submit to God's will, but before we submit to it, we want to know what it is. We, we, you know, we, we, we want to read the fine print. Uh, here's a good illustration. If your kids are like mine, you know, I've got three sons. Have you ever asked one of your kids something like this? Have you ever said to your, one of your kids, hey, would, would you do me a favor? And what's the first thing they'll ask? What is it? Right? You, your kids are like mine. You don't have perfect kids either, right? Okay. James, Jonathan, and Joshua always come through like a champ. Hey, son, would you do me a favor? What is it? It's not sure, Dad. 
You brought me into this world. Sure, Dad, you put food on my table. Sure, Dad, you put clothes on my back. Sure. No. What is it? Not sure yet. Let me know. And when God said to Mary, Mary, would you do me a favor? She said, where do I sign? Sure. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, here's the great news. You ready for this? When you make up your mind and you decide, you're going to invest your life in the God of interruptions. And he is the God of interruptions. Does he ever pay off with dividends? And sometimes the dividends will be on this earth. Because Mary saw this interruption as a divine disruption, just think about what happened to Mary. Listen to this. She became the mother of God. More girls have been named after her than any other woman who have ever lived. Still the most popular name in the world for kids, for for female kids. She's the best known woman in the history of the world. She's the most famous mother in history. Her name occurs 51 times in the New Testament, more than all other women put together. God gave her, by the way, another boy named Jude, and he just happened to write a book of the Bible. He gave her another boy named James, who also wrote a book in the Bible. And none of that would have ever happened if Mary had said, what is it? She just said, where do I sign? So, the next time, and trust me, ladies and gentlemen, there will be a next time. The next time God interrupts the programming of your life, the next time the x-ray shows a spot on the lung, the next time you get the divorce notice in the mail, the next time your boss gives you the pink slip, the next time this interruption hits your life, you just remember, I've got God's presence beside me. I've got God's plan before me. I've got God's purpose behind me. I've got God's power behind me. And I'll tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, if God can bring Christmas through a nobody girl from a nothing town, what can God do with us? Let's pray together. With his bowed and with eyes closed, God took a human being. In fact, God became a human being. And he lived a human life, just like you and me. He experienced every temptation you and I have ever experienced and yet never sinned. You say, that's impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. And God himself died on a cross and shed his blood and paid for every sin of every person that's ever been committed. You say, that's impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. And three days later, Jesus, who died on that cross, did something no one else has ever done in ever, ever in history, ever. He physically, literally, visibly came back from the dead. You say impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. And that same Jesus, who was conceived in that womb, 
who lived that perfect life and died on that cross and was raised from the dead, that same Jesus wants to come into your life. That same Jesus wants to forgive you of all of your sins. That same Jesus wants to make a brand new person out of you. That same Jesus wants to accomplish great things in you. And that same Jesus wants to take you to heaven after this life is over. You say, impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I just want to give you the opportunity to do that. You know, you can't even experience Christmas. Really, you really can't. You, you can't experience Christmas if you don't know Jesus. It's the same reason why, in, in reality, a, a, a person who is not a citizen of America really can't celebrate the 4th of July. You really can't. And you really cannot celebrate Christmas until you know the Christ of Christmas. And if you walked in here this morning and you said, man, I'm that nobody. You walked in here this morning and you say, man, have I ever made a mess of my life. You walked in here this morning and you've, you've let the devil convince you there is no hope for me. Wrong. Because there's nothing impossible with God. And if today you would sit there and say, I want this Jesus in my life. I want the same Jesus that was conceived in the womb of that woman to be conceived in the womb of my heart. And I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer right now. Just in your heart. I'm going to pray it out loud. You pray it in your heart. Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that God raised you from the dead. I believe you are alive right now. And coming to you as a sinner in need of a Savior, I am asking you to forgive me of all of my sins. I repent and turn away from my sinful way. I surrender my life to you as the Lord of my life. I trust you as the Savior and receive your gift of eternal life. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, if you really did, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to take out that, that little registration card that was attached to your worship guide. Right now, I'm going to ask you to do it. While, while I'm talking, do it right now. I'm going to ask you to take out that card, fill it out completely, give us some contact information. There's a box there that says, Today I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask you to check off that box. You may be here today and you may say, I don't need to do that, Pastor. I, I've already asked Christ into my life. Wonderful. Have you been biblically baptized since you made that decision? Well, you say, well, what do you mean? Well, you saw what we did a while ago, those four people. They were biblically baptized. Number one, they were baptized after they had professed faith in Christ, not before. Number two, they were baptized the biblical way, which is by immersion, not by sprinkling, not by pouring, by immersion. That's the Bible way because it pictures the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And there's some of you here this morning, you may say, I I've never done that. I'm going to ask you to fill that card out and check off that box that says, Today, I decided to be biblically baptized. I'm going to be baptizing at all three of our Christmas Eve services, 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock. I would love to baptize you personally at one of those Christmas Eve services. And if you'd like that to happen, just check off that box and just put out there beside it, Christmas Eve. That's all you got to do. We'll contact you and we'll, we'll find out which service you're coming to. I would love, what a great way to celebrate Christmas Eve is by being baptized. Then it may be there's some of you here today and you've been coming for a while or not coming for a long while and you'd say, you know what? I want to be a partner with this church. I want to put plant my life here. I like what's going on. 
I'd like you to ask you then, fill that card out, check off that last box. I want to be a partner. I want to begin the partnership process. You say, what do I do with the card then? Real simple. You just drop it in a giving center. They're all around the building, a little box. You'll see them. Drop them in the giving center. Or what I'd really love for you to do is just walk outside. I'm going to be at a table right out there, and I'd love to see you. By the way, I'm going to be signing books out there in just a moment. We're giving, we're giving, we have these beautiful one-year devotional books, and, and I, along with a lot of pastors, have made these devotionals available. And if you'd like to give one of those for Christmas or get one, I'll be out there to sign them. We'd love to do that for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, my prayer would be that we would be willing to be used by you to interrupt somebody's life this week, to invite them to our Christmas Eve service, to invite them to church, or maybe even to say a word to them about Jesus. So, Lord, I want to thank you for the time. I want to thank you. I will thank you when I go to my grave. Thank you, Lord, for that afternoon in Deland, Florida, when you interrupted my life and brought me to where I am today. Thank you for the divine disruptions that you bring, knowing your presence, your plan, your purpose, your power, they're always beside us, behind us, beyond us, and with us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's stand to our feet. I want you to do a couple of things. Number one, my question is, who? Who did you invite this past week?